Well, good evening. It is so good to see everyone back out tonight. I ask you to take your Bibles and go with me to the book of John. John chapter 6 is where we're going to spend our time tonight and where we find the words that we just read. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So our outline for tonight is going to be simply be this. We're going to do a survey of the chapter 6. There's no way we can do a verse-by-verse study in the time that we have. So we're going to do a survey, and we're going to use an outline to go through the survey. I was extremely clever in putting this together. The first one is the working of miracles. You'll notice that's a W. The second point is the one sent. That's an O. The third point, the rejected message, that's an R. I think you get where we're going with this. The disciples depart. And then lastly, shall you also go away. So hopefully you got your Bibles out and open. And let's take a look at John chapter 6 and see what we can learn from it. As we start looking at the workings here that's going on in the beginning of the chapter here, verse number 6, we see that Jesus is there at the Sea of Galilee and that he has uh, this great multitude of people that are following behind him. And we see there in verses 1 through 4 that this crowd gathers around him. And as we look at verses number 5 and number 7, we're presented with a question here. Jesus sees the crowd and he asks Philip, He says to him, "Um, where are we going to get the food to feed all these people? That's the southern colloquial version, if you you don't know. And Philip said, we don't have the money to feed all these people. It would take 200 denarii to to, to feed all these people. And then we've got Andrew there on the side. He's wanting to help the situation in verses 8 and verses 9. And he says, well, there's this young man, there's this lad here with us, and he's got... You know, these five barley loaves and he's got these two small fish, but uh, what's that going to do with this crowd of people? So Jesus is preparing for something here. You'll notice when he asked Philip the question, there's actually a little footnote there. He asked the question for a reason. If you remember what he asked, he said, where are we going to find bread for all these people? Remember that. Just kind of keep that tucked in your mind there about the question about the bread. But then we see there in verse number 10 that, that Jesus commands all these people that are following here to sit down. And then in verse number 11, he blesses those five barley loaves and those two tiny fish. And then he goes on and he feeds this crowd of at least 5,000 people. Is that a miracle? No question. No question. We even notice so much so that in verses number uh, numbers 12 and 13 that even after he had blessed and they had distributed the food and everyone, if you read the scriptures there, everyone ate and had plenty. No one got just a nibble. They got plenty. They were satisfied. After they were satisfied, the disciples went around and they gathered up the scraps. And he says the scraps filled like 12 baskets, even of the scraps. So no question that we... And they have just witnessed a miracle at the hands of Jesus. Now, how did they react to this miracle? Well, obviously there in verse number 14, they they looked to him and said, Then those men who had seen the sign that Jesus did, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. They realized that this just wasn't an ordinary man. That what they experienced just wasn't some happy happenstance. This was a miracle. This was the prophet that Moses talked about. So they realized that. But they misunderstood. 
They misunderstood Jesus' mission, even from the beginning. So in verse number 15, we read that they wanted to take him. They wanted to forcibly take him and turn him into their earthly king. You see, they were still struggling with that idea of what Jesus' kingdom would be all about. They were looking for that earthly, that physical kingdom. But then after we see, uh, see them and, and them wanting to take Jesus and, and turn him into their, their kings, we see that Jesus kind of pulls away uh, from the crowds and he goes up into the mountain to be alone by himself. And, and his disciples that were with him, they went down to the sea and they got in a boat and they started across the Sea of Galilee, headed over to, to Capernaum. And we noticed, we talked a little bit about this this morning, that as they were on their way across the sea, that there was this great tempest that arose, that the winds and the waves were, were making their going very difficult. And it tells us there in, in uh, uh, verse number 19 that after they had rowed for about three or four miles, that uh, the sea was up and, and it was making it difficult and they became afraid. And then we see there in verses... Yes, that's a typo, not 61. That should be 16. In verses 16 and 17, uh, we read about them going out onto the Sea of Galilee. In verse number 18, how the sea had disrupted their way. And in verse number 19, it says that Jesus came to them walking on the water. Then we see in verse number 20, he says these words. Obviously, when they see a man walking in the middle of a storm on the water, they were a little bit afraid. But he says to them, verse number 20, It is I, do not be afraid. So he offered calming words to his disciples that were out there in the midst of all of that. Then we notice in verse number 21. So, so far, if you're keeping count, two miracles. He fed 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes. He walked on the water in the middle of a storm to his disciples. Verse number 21, it says, They welcomed him willingly into the boat, received him into the boat. What happened? Immediately they were where they were headed. So he delivered them to the other side of the Sea of Galilee instantly. So three miracles we see here that Jesus performed in this one instance. And that kind of lays the foundation for the rest of our a study here. So go on down and we start in around, uh, down around verse number 22. We see that those people that were over there with Jesus that he fed, that when they got up the next morning, they realized that Jesus and the apostles, they were no longer there with them. And so when they realized that they had went across the sea, they got in their boats and they went across the Sea of Galilee also searching to find Jesus. And then when they found him, they began to ask him lots of questions. Several questions. If we look in verse number 22, they asked the question when they found him, uh, when did you come here? And then we see in verse number, uh, number 26 how he responds to them. He answered them and he said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. So he immediately knows their purpose. Yes, they had saw the miracles, but they were more interested in what the miracles had done for them, that they were able to be to eat and to be filled. But he goes on to say in verse number 27, Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures uh, to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. So now we see Jesus begin to take that analogy where he said to Philip, where are we going to get bread to feed these people? He continues that analogy here. 
and telling them how that uh, they wouldn't labor for the food that perishes, but that food that endures for everlasting life. But he also goes on to say in the last part of that verse, if you notice there, he says that the God the Father has set his seal on him. So now he starts to teach them either more, even more about who he is outside of the miracles. God has set his seal on him. So they go and they ask another question uh, there in, in verses 28 uh, and 29. They said, what shall we do that we can do these good works? He answers them in verse number 29. This is the work of God that you believe in him who he sent. So you see how Jesus is building this lesson. That he is the one sent by God. But they ask even more questions uh, after he said that you should believe in him. Uh, they say here, what sign are you going to do? What miracle are you going to perform that, that we may see it and believe it? What work will you do so we see where their minds are? We want more miracles. We want more stuff. Verses number 30 and 33. He answers that third question in verse number 33. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So you see how he continues this analogy of providing them with that bread through his teaching. Going in the fourth question, they ask him, verses number 34 through 40. Lord, give us this bread always. He says in verse number 35. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. So isn't it wonderful how Jesus is weaving all of this together to demonstrate that he is the one that was sent. But then we see, starting in verse number 41, how they received his message. Verse number 41, he explains to them why they are rejecting him. If you look at verse number 41, it says they started to complain about Jesus. How he is teaching. I am the bread of life. I am the one that came down from heaven. I am the one sent, as we talked about just a second ago in our outline. But then he says in verse number 44, don't murmur, or 43, let's start in verse number 43. Don't murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent him, sent me, draws him, and I will raise him up in the last day. So he starts to explain to them why they are rejecting him. They are not accepting the message that he is given that I am that bread of life. I am that one sent. I am the true bread of life from heaven. In verses starting in verse number 47. Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes me in me has everlasting life. Verse number 48, I am the bread of life. So he's carrying this analogy on and on as he talks to them. So you look down at verse number 57 for just a second. He says there, As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So he who feeds on me will live because of me. This bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead, he who eats this bread will live forever. So Jesus continues this teaching about him being that bread, the one sent, the true bread. The bread of life. But then we notice. Start at verse number 60. Many of the disciples when they heard this says. Uh, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? 
So they were struggling with Christ's message, and why? Was it, was it the fact that he was talking about himself as, as bread? No, it wasn't. The, the fact was they were not willing to accept him. They knew Jesus, and they say so, uh, that he is the father of Joseph, or the son of Joseph, the son of Mary, and they're, they're, here he is claiming to be the one sent by God. How can we listen to him? It's a hard saying. Jesus realizes, so he sees what's going on. He says there uh, in verse number, uh, verse number 61, does this offend you? Isn't that an interesting question? Isn't that an interesting question that Jesus, preaching the gospel, his words sent from God to save man, the bread of life. If you want to be saved, you come to, to him, you follow his teachings. They rejected it. Does this offend you? I wonder if it offends folks today when we talk about Jesus being the one bread of life. He goes on to say, well, if this offends you, what's going to happen when you see the Son of Man descending from heaven? Is this going to offend you even more? He goes on to talk about it is the Spirit who gives life and that the flesh profits nothing. And wraps it up with, therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless my Father, uh, unless it has been granted to him by my Father. You see, they were struggling to understand and to accept what Jesus had taught them. And it says there that many of his disciples, when they heard this, that they decided that they could no longer follow him and that they would turn and go away and then we get to the last part of our outline where Jesus notices and sees all of those verse number 66 that many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more then he turned to the twelve he said do you also want to go do you also want to go away so when we think about the gospel of Christ how that God loved us. John 3 and 16 says that He so loved us that He sent His only begotten Son into this world so that we might be saved. And when we study the plan of salvation, we understand that, that it starts with hearing the Word, believing the Word, repenting of our sins, confessing Christ as the Son of God, being baptized to wash away all of our sins. We always come to this same question. You've heard the gospel. Do you also want to go, go away? Do you also want to go away? And so when he asked this to the apostles, he asked this to the twelve that were there before him, you see what Peter said? Look there in verse number 68. Simon Peter answered to him, To Lord, whom to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Do you realize the gravity of Peter's statement here? Jesus asked him, are you going to go away too? You've heard my teachings. I am the one, I've been the one said, I am the bread, I am the one way. Are you going to go away? And Peter just plainly says, well, where else are we going to go? 
Where else can we look? Where else can we find? To whom shall we turn? So tonight, that's what we're going to talk about for just the next few minutes. To who are we going to turn? To whom shall we turn when we need answers? When we think about needing truth, finding the source of truth in our life, who are we going to turn to? As our verse said, Jesus said to the twelve, verse number 68, Thou hast the words of eternal life. We can rest assured when we need to know the truth, we turn to God's Word. We turn to Jesus' Word. But not only when we need to know truth, where are we going to turn for strength? When we struggle with life, when we struggle with sin, when we need strength, where are we going to turn? turn to Jesus. Philippians chapter 4 verse number 13. I can do all things through him who strengtheneth me. We look at Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 11. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 16 that he that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man. We're going to find strength when we turn to Jesus. We think about nourishing our spirit, nourishing our faith, feeding it up. Where are we going to turn? John 6 and verse number 35, we read it earlier. I am the bread of life. He that cometh unto me shall never hunger. He shall, that believeth in me shall never thirst. We find nourishment in Jesus for our spirit. Where are we going to turn for hope? It's Jesus. Ephesians 1, verse number 18. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of His calling and what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. We look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 8. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and of love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Who else are we going to turn to for hope? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 16. Now our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God, even our Father which has loved us and has given us an everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. Where else are you going to turn to find hope? To whom are we going to turn when we need peace and we need comfort? Romans chapter number 15 and verse number 4. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. We turn to Jesus when we need hope and comfort. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests may be known to God. Why? And the peace of God that passes all understandings will keep your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort who comfort us with all, in all of our tribulations, that we may be able to comfort them which are in trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Who are you going to turn to for comfort if it's not Jesus? We struggle in this life. The Bible teaches us everyone has sinned. There's none perfect. So we need an intercessor. We need someone to stand for us. Who are we going to turn to? It's going to be Jesus. 
Isaiah chapter number 59, verse number 16, he said that there was, he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his arm brought salvation unto him and his righteousness, it sustained him. You look at 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 5. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. When we need someone to stand as intercessor, who are we going to turn to if it's not Jesus? You look at John chapter 14 and verse number 6. Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. Who are we going to turn to? When we need an intercessor. Where do we find the remedy for our sin? John 3, verses number 14 and 15. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Verse number 15. That whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus is the remedy for our sin. Romans 3 and verse number 25. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. 1 John chapter 2 verse number 2. And He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So who are we going to turn to when we need that remedy of sins. Who are we going to turn to when we need salvation? Acts 4 and verse number 12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. John 3 and 17. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be through Him might be saved. Romans chapter 1 verse number 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number 28. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of the many. And unto them that look for Him shall He appear a second time without sin unto salvation. Who are we going to turn to? Peter said it so beautifully, so poignantly. Lord, to whom are we going to go? To who are we going to go? Are we going to look at the world? Try to find comfort? Try to find peace? Try to find life in the material things? Wasn't that what the Jews were after? Christ told them so much. I know why you're here. It's not because of my signs. It's because of the food. You, you look at the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10 and verse number 17. Christ told him what he needed to do, that one thing that he lacked. He turned to material things. You consider King Solomon and all that he tried around material things. Is that where we're going to turn? What about our religious world, the denominations that are out there? Are we going to turn to them? Or are we going to look to the flavor of the month, the buffet of religious that's out there so that we can pick and choose what suits what we think? And partake of the bread that they offer, which is false doctrine, which leads people in countless number to the bowels of hell because they're teaching false doctrine. Eternal salvation. You don't need baptism. All you got to do is believe. Take the sin. Are we going to turn to that? Peter said, to whom are we going to turn? What about our family? 
Mama and Papa, those that love us. We can turn to them and yes, they can love us, they can care for us, they, they can even offer their lives for us, but at the end of the day, they can't save us. We have to turn to Jesus to find salvation. And that's the answer. Whom shall we turn? We're going to be just like Peter and say, Lord, to who else can we go? Because we know and we are sure that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and you are the one that has the words of life. Is that where we're going to turn? There's a poem that I really like that kind of goes along this with this. It's written by a man, Henry Van Dyke. It says, With eager heart and will on fire, I strove to win my great desire. Peace shall be mine, I said, but life grew bitter in the barren strife. My soul was weary, my pride was wounded. Deep to heaven I cried, God grant me peace or I must die. The dumb stars glittered no reply. Broken at last, I bowed my head, forgetting all myself and said, whatever comes, his will be done. And in that moment, peace was won. Who are you going to turn to tonight? When you're facing the trials of life, when you're struggling with sin and doubt in your life, where are we going to turn? I think Jesus made it perfectly clear in the lesson we studied tonight in John chapter 6. And Peter's response tells us exactly where we should turn. To whom shall we turn? You have the words of life. So tonight, our hope and our prayer is that if you have any need, if you need to obey the gospel, if you need to come back and repent of errors in your life, we want you to do so. If you would, won't you come while we stand and sing?